My brother is in attendance this morning, so I need to make sure that I don't embellish this story. But I, I grew up, he grew up in a teetotaling family, total abstainers from any alcoholic beverages. My dad even hated passing beer down the row at a ball game. He was offended when our church in Southern California served him watered-down wine for communion. That was, that was just something he had never had to face before. My mom, as far as I know, never cooked with any alcoholic beverages. She could do, and we remember this, she could do a great impersonation of a neighbor who came home drunk and crawled up to his front door. We would ask her to do it again, you know, one of those things. Could you do that again, Mom? How, how did you do that? The churches we were a part of required total abstaining from alcohol as part of membership. It was just a vow we took as members. Some of you are thinking, Paul, you lived in a whole different universe. Because some of you have lived with alcohol, not just in the home, but real issues real pain, um, problems, I, I get it. Um, I've had opportunity to be exposed to that. I'm not completely naive. I took newspapers into bars and I could see stuff I didn't see at home and in, in our church. In basic training, I had my platoon mates come back from our first free time and the bulk of them were drunk and I was cleaning up after them to make sure that the drill sergeants weren't all over us. It was as a pastor that I really became acquainted with a lot of the issues and problems and side effects and flack from alcoholism, the, uh, the abuse, the sexual sin, the accidents, the broken marriages, the interventions, the rehab programs, the life-threatening withdrawals, the relapses again and again. I became acquainted more than I wanted to with some of the, the downsides of alcoholism. And we had it very personal and up close in our own family. Deborah and I went through a whole rehab program right here in Hinsdale with someone we loved, watching that loved one struggle with alcohol. So, you know, I didn't grow up with it, but wow, it's, it's a part of our lives. I, I get that. So when I start this sermon that's going to be focused on the second half of verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, I can't ignore the first half, and you can see it there in front of you. Do not get drunk with wine. I want to clarify before we leave this that the Bible doesn't require total abstinence from alcohol. That's not the way I, I read God's word. There's a place for it. Um, but at the same time, it condemns all drunken, drunkenness. Drunkenness is never something that the Bible holds up as part of the Christian life, the spirit-filled life. In fact, this verse presents a pretty strong contrast between the two. It's almost like Paul's giving us a choice. Do we want to be under the influence of a, an addictive substance 
or do we want to be under the influence of God's Spirit? That's why these two are connected in Ephesians 5.18. But I want to look at the second half, be filled with the Spirit. Maybe this will become a key to helping us deal with some of the first half. I believe it can be. Be filled with the Spirit is the the second command in this long sentence that stretches all the way down to verse 21. In the original language, it's one sentence. Be filled with the Spirit is a command that comes with enough uniqueness. I want to make sure you you see some of the verb um, issues and particular parts of this story. Is that the verb is a plural verb to begin with. It's not just about you and me individually. It's about all of us. I used to say, you all be filled with the Spirit. And most of us Northerners get it. But I had a Southerner in the church, Jamie Hassell, who stepped forward and lovingly said, you know, when you say y'all in the South, that could be an individual. And most of the time it is, y'all. But it's all y'all. That's plural. (laughs) All y'all. And that's the emphasis of this text. It's all y'all be filled with the Spirit. I think we get it. It's, it's not just for one individual in a church. It's for the whole congregation. Certainly there's some individuality in it. But we're to be thinking of this a little more collectively. It's about all of us doing this together. In fact, it's the normal Christian life. It's not just for the pastors and missionaries and staff people and the council. It's for all believers, all y'all be filled with the Spirit, plural. It's also passive, which is kind of an interesting command. It's not that you can do this and I can't do this to myself, but we need to be open to it. Let it happen. We are commanded to encourage it to happen. I think of desiring it to happen, asking for it to happen, receiving it by faith when it happens. It's that kind of allowing, a passive command. But because it's commanded, I get the clear impression that there must be a way that you and I can block it, where we can say, no, I don't, I don't want this. Or maybe we just totally ignore it. Maybe you're looking at this and you say, I've never seen this command. We're, we're supposed to be doing this? Well, not doing it, but letting it happen. Letting God do this in our lives. It's passive, plural, passive, but also continuous. The verb really, literally, is keep on being filled. Let it happen all the time, moment by moment, regularly. Think about being filled. Ask about being filled with the Spirit. It needs to be done repeatedly for a couple of reasons. One is our sin. The Bible says that our sin grieves the Holy Spirit, quenches the Holy Spirit. You and I sin. And when that happens, our relationship with God's spirit is is drained, diminished, broken in part. And we need to make that right again. We need to be filled with the spirit. I, I blew it there. So we admit it and we say, God, would you come and fill me anew? So our sin is part of the reason. But another reason is our service. That in serving the Lord, in serving other people, the power can get drained from us. And we need God's help and put back together, filled up again. 
So for me, this, this idea of being filled with the Spirit continuously comes, it's necessary because of our sin and also because of service. There was one time in Jesus' life when a woman with a disease she'd had for a long time came up and just touched his clothes. And in Mark, it says that Jesus was aware that power had gone out from him. And that caught my attention. I realized, wow, if, if Jesus had power drained from him when he was ministering to others, think of what must happen to you and me. So a regular reason for asking for the refilling is not necessarily our sin, but just the fact that, wow, I, I feel empty. I'm worn out. I've given about all I can. Where do I go for strength? God's spirit. Would you come and, and fill me anew? So if I were to translate this text for me, I think it would have to start with, all y'all, let God keep on filling you with his spirit. All of you, let God keep filling you with his spirit. Don't resist him. Don't ignore him. Let this happen. Some may say, well, you know, just can you give me a little formula or a little discipline that I might practice regularly? And I would say, you know, simply, you know, ask for it. Jesus said that you earthly fathers typically love to give good gifts to your children. And then he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's at least ask him. Let's desire it. Let's ask him. I think he likes to be asked. And then let's receive God's spirit by faith. Phil Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as True, uh, spoke of it as spiritual breathing. And I think this is a helpful image. See if it works for you. When we exhale physically, we get rid of poisons in our system. And so he would say, exhale spiritually and confess our sins, our, our emptiness, our brokenness, our need for the spirit. Exhale, but then inhale to appropriate and to accept the, the filling of God's spirit. Exhale sin and brokenness, emptiness, Breathe in God's spirit. That image has been helpful to me for a couple reasons. One is that breathing, breath, is the word for spirit in both Hebrew and Greek. In other words, the same Hebrew and Greek word is translated both spirit and breath in both of the main biblical languages. So there's a connection between breathing and asking for God's spirit. But also I like the imagery because you can't just breathe once a day. You can't just breathe once a week. You've got to keep on doing it. I have to keep on doing it to stay alive. Spiritually, we have to keep on doing this. Letting it happen as God wants to do it himself. And so being filled with the Spirit starts with this idea of just as we ask Jesus to come into our lives, confessing our need for him, our sinfulness, and receiving him by faith, so continually we say yes to God's spirit and ask him into our lives to empower us, to fill us, to help us to live this Christ-like life in this world. We choose to say no to drunkenness and yes to God's spirit.
That's what this text is calling us to. The text doesn't dwell on how we do it, but it does dwell on what happens when we do. The next verses may not always look like it in the translations, but they're actually five participles that give us the results of being filled in the Spirit. We know what the results are of being drunk. The text says it leads to debauchery, wild, riotous living. It breaks down all our inhibitions and we do stupid things. That's what drunkenness does. Well, what does spirit control and influence do? Well, in verse 19, it gets quite musical. And the three of the five participles are right here. Those who are filled with the Spirit are singing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They're singing. They're actually speaking psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, literally. The next phrase is singing. And the third one is making melody to the Lord in your hearts. Now, these first three of the five sound quite musical. And you may be saying, I, I'm not really talented to, to sing in the choir or play an instrument in the band. But I believe we're, we're talking about something a little more generally accessible to all of us, even non-musician types. I think of it as a, as a song in the heart, as a deep joy and confidence that God knows what he's doing so that I don't have to go through life with this frown and hunched shoulders and woe is me attitude, but I, but I can recognize that even in the midst of life's difficulties, uh, God is good. And I can have this song. We used to sing in churches I grew up in, there's within my heart a melody. And it, it rhymes with harmony. And that, that melody is a heavenly harmony. And so it is that the Christian, filled with the Spirit, has a musical peace going on deep within, and it bubbles out in conversations with one another, and it bubbles out in our worship, and we can hardly contain that because there's a song within that's going to find its way out somehow. Beautiful or noisy, but still a song in the heart. That's what verse 19 is all about, a deep joy. Verse 20 gives us the fourth participle and a whole other theme giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those who are filled with the Spirit are giving thanks, and if you notice the, the tri, triune God shows up big here as we're filled with the Spirit, we give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got the Trinity represented here, but you also probably notice that it's pretty all-inclusive. What do we do with these phrases at all times and for everything? Don't you wish we could kind of tone it down, make it a little more realistic? But this is what those who are filled with the Spirit are like. They're, they're able at all times and for everything to find things to be thankful for. Not just seeing the negative, not just the, the grumbling and complaining, not just waiting till a holiday late in November to be thankful, but every day a person filled with the Spirit finds things to be grateful for, and it shows up, again, in conversations and in worship. You can't contain it. You don't have to announce it. God's Spirit just bubbles out in a thankful heart. 
In verse 21, we bump into our fifth and last phrase, participle. It's literally being subject to one another or submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The, the same sentence goes on. In verse 21 is our last description of what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. A person filled with the Spirit is willing voluntarily to place him or herself under other people, to serve them, to love them, to seek their best, to seek what interests them. Puts, puts oneself under in humility to say, uh, I want your best. A person filled with the Spirit can do that. You try doing that, I try doing that on our own. That's not natural, friends. Have you noticed? It's not natural for our children. It's not natural for us adults. We're all Americans. We want to seek what's best for me. Number one, it takes God's spirit to, to put ourselves under another person and seek what's best for them. But when you see that in another person, you're seeing God's spirit at work doing what I believe only God's spirit can do, is allowing us to be subject to one another. And that works not only in the Christian life and in church life, but if you notice, this verse 21 opens up the whole next section of the letter. It works in marriages. It works in parenting. It works in employment. And the whole rest of the book kind of unpacks this what does it mean to be submissive to one another? And it shows up in daily stuff, in earthly stuff, not just here on Sunday mornings, not just in our devotions. So the fruit and work and filling of God's spirit is not just intended for us in our private Christian life or us in our church life, but it's meant to spill over into this kind of living with a song in your heart, with a thankfulness, with a mutual submission in every area of our lives. So if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're working on parenting your children well, if you desire to improve working relationships at work, you might get a lot of good advice. There are good books. There's therapy. There are other things. Don't leave out God's spirit because all of that is unpacked after the command, be filled with the Spirit. I'm convinced that if you try doing the marriage and parenting and work relations stuff that comes here at the end of Ephesians on your own, you're going to be frustrated. It's pretty mysterious. You better be filled with the Spirit first. Don't try this at home on your own. Get the Spirit's help. It all goes back to being filled with the Spirit and not being filled with a controlling substance. That's our choice. We don't get to choose the consequences. The con consequences will flow from our choice. So we got to choose well. Friends, all y'all, let God keep on filling all of us with his spirit. Amen. One of the ways that I've practiced this is with the simple chorus. It's a prayer, but it's Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And then it has these desires, melt me, although that, that hurts. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Um, I think you can sing with me.
Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. If you feel like you want to stretch yourself beyond praying or singing that prayer daily, then you might think of trying to use every time you drink a beverage, coffee, water, tea, whatever your beverage of choice is. Think about that imagery of being filled not just with that beverage, but being filled with God's spirit. Uh, make it a little more of a spiritual practice to be drinking this week. But we've been putting together an affirmation that follows the phrase of uh, the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Each week we've been adding a line, so if you would uh, stand and say with me this affirmation. Together, I believe in the Holy Spirit, promised by Jesus to be our helper, at work in us to bear fruit unto Christ-likeness, poured out at Pentecost for all believers in Christ, available to fill us whenever we ask.